Welcome once again to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers and all other creatures. I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Today we're bringing to you an episode for December 15th, 2019. This is the third week in Advent. I think this is the pink candle, isn't it? I always forget which candle is the pink one, but I I think this is the special week. I'm Uh, liturgically challenged. You're liturgically challenged. Well, we won't hold it against you. We are still coming to you live from the uh, San Diego um, meeting of SBL and AAR. So if you hear a little bit of background noise, just take it as the sound of scholars in their finest or just background noise, either way. But And the conference hasn't been going on for a week. We're just recording a few of these at once. That's fair. We're not just sitting (laughs) in San Diego for weeks on end. Though that wouldn't be bad, would it? No. So this uh, this episode today is Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10. And Tim's taking the lead on it. So what do you got, Tim? All right, yes. So we have another Isaiah text for the first reading this week. And uh, this is going to be kind of a quick episode because the bulk of what I want to say about this has been said by us already in the past couple weeks. Uh, We want to challenge and encourage you to consider preaching from these Isaiah texts. But we also want you to give Isaiah a fair look in his own context rather than simply using him as a predictor of Jesus. So what's happening in Isaiah 35? Well, This is another sort of future-looking, metaphor-rich vision of Zion as the world center of peace, of healing, of holiness, of joy. Look at that last verse, verse 10. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is is a vision of deep hope. Now, one literary feature of this passage to note is the way that it takes the common prophetic theme that we sometimes call the reversal of fortunes and it just totally runs with it. Pretty much every verse is structured by saying that in that day, those who are experiencing fill-in-the-blank bad thing will then experience fill-in-the-blank opposite great thing. Deserts will blossom, weak will be strengthened, fearful will find courage, lame will leap, Mute will sing, dry sand will become pools of fresh water, uncrossable wilderness will be paved with highways for God's redeemed people to get to Zion. Isaiah is saying, things look awfully bleak right now, but when God steps in, God steps in with a vengeance, and then things will be better than they have ever been. Now the likely historical context for this vision is the Assyrian invasion of Judah in the late 8th century during the reign of Hezekiah in Judah. In fact, the narrative of how Jerusalem was besieged but then spared at the last minute by divine intervention is told in the verses immediately following our lectionary reading. So in the layout of the book of Isaiah, the salvation prophesied in our text was fulfilled immediately historically in 701 BCE when God saved Jerusalem from utter destruction by the Assyrians. And Judah lasted another 120 years before finally succumbing to the Babylonians. But Isaiah's language is so rich and pictures a redemption so thorough that this text continues to resonate with every generation that longs for renewal. We can draw upon these images as metaphors of the new thing that God did in sending Jesus into the world. We can draw upon them to describe our own hope 
for God's intervention in our own personal and social deserts. It's a powerful text and you can do so much with it. But if you're preaching it, my recommendation would be to set it first in Isaiah's context, explain the hope that he was longing for before you do your homiletical magic to connect it to that longing in our own circumstances. So I, I think there's a powerful sermon in there. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just the way, too, that you lifted up that poetic imagery of Isaiah. I think poetry, biblical poetry, can sometimes get a bad rap because people can say, oh, it's really hard to preach a poem. But man, you guys, those images just sing. You know, the idea of a mute person not only speaking, but singing, to Mm -hmm. go straight to that act of singing. The idea of dry sand and unpavable land. I mean, these are images which if you sit in them for a while and you really start to unpack what that image looks like, feels like, that can preach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's no wonder that, that this text has been set to music. Yeah, right, exactly. Well, and that brings me to the other thing I was thinking is this is a perfect opportunity to do a singing sermon where mm-hmm. you, you take like a, a refrain of a song and have that be the refrain that you come back to and even invite the congregation into singing with you throughout the sermon. Um, the, one of the reasons I love doing that is then the next time people hear that song, it brings your sermon to mind and it, it just attaches your sermon to something really mm-hmm. concrete. Yeah, and with any luck, it brings the Bible back to mind, too. there we go. (laughs) Right, most importantly, most importantly. No, Uh, that's a great idea. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, folks, there you have it. There's your little tidbit from first reading for this week. We sure hope it was helpful. Uh, If you liked it and want more, head on over to firstreadingpodcast.com. If you liked it and want to subscribe, head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from and, and subscribe so that you're up on all of our newest episodes. Until next time, I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. <laughs> Talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> Bye now. <laughs> Maybe my favorite ending outside is <laughs> Johanna calling you honey. <laughs>